Good evening, all. Good to see you here tonight as I have the opportunity of sharing another miracle in the Gospel of John. We'll be in, back in John chapter 6 because the next one after the big one of the feeding of 5,000 is in John chapter 6, which tonight will be the walking Jesus when he walked on the water. But just what leads up to that um, is quite interesting. The heading for tonight's message will be Jesus teaching us by lesson and examination. And this is what he was doing with his disciples. And as I'll mention again in the message that the miracle, the great miracle of the multitude feeding them with the five loaves and two fishes was, was the lesson in this chapter. And then the examination is how they respond in the storm as they go back over the lake from where the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 was. But as we look, I'll just stick here now to the introduction. We looked again at, it was the fourth miracle, and now we're up to the fifth, and there were seven. Yet there are eight, because we have the miracle of the resurrection that is recorded. But the ones Jesus did with the disciples, there were seven in displaying, or John, the gospel writer, was wanting to show who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, that he was God, divine in the flesh. And uh, the fourth miracle. So, we, yes, it was feeding. I better go there too. I'll go here in my John. It was feeding 5,000 men plus the women, plus the children as well. So there were a lot more and... It truly was a spectacular and undeniable sign seen by many witnesses and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And as we know in the New Testament, the Christ, as it's written there in the Greek, meaning Messiah. And uh, using a little boy who willingly gave his, what could have been his lunch to Jesus that Andrew found and uh, a powerful lesson of childlike faith that little is much when God is in it. We, there's a song too that sing, we sing. Little is much when God is in it. Two dried sardines type fish from the lake and the locals really relied upon these for their food. And five flat unleavened barley wafers which is a poor man's bread because they couldn't afford the wheat flour to make so barley was accessible. Jesus miraculously, as we looked last time, multiplied to provide for hungry people and it was through his compassion on the multitude showing them he is the bread of life. Jesus was also teaching his disciples also a lesson in faith because they were faithless. As we, um, So we need to use what we've got and giving, that is to surrender it to Christ, as that little boy showed, to do a great work. And that was so. In Christ there is sufficient for each and for all. As Christ used what the lad had gave to him, and the disciples passed it. See, the Lord Jesus multiplied the bread and the fishes, and who passed it to the people? It was the disciples. He he gave it to, Christ gave it to them and they passed it out to all the different uh, groups that were sat down in their 50s or so 
on the grass there. So through our surrendered as obedient disciples of the Lord, we must through our surrendered obedient lives, um, Christ waits to make others, that is the lost, as Pastor was just mentioning, the sharers of our knowledge as we share with them and our experience with them of his all-sufficiency as it was displayed that day through that miracle. Our God is all-sufficient, all-powerful, in providing for all our needs, we know, according to his riches in glory. So let me read the short few verses there of this text from 15 in chapter 6 as we go into this miracle. Jesus walks upon the water or Jesus walks upon the sea. You might have in the heading there, but 15, and I'll read to 21. Then we'll open in prayer. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when evening even was come, now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. And entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, And immediately the ship was at the land, whither they went. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity tonight to open your word and be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the hymns we've sung tonight that point us to Christ and to your goodness, your mercy, your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust you with what little we have in our possessions today, Lord, and we can commit them unto you and know that little is much when God is in it. And we can, in our surrender, in our submission to your will in our lives, you can do a great work through us, Lord, as you did through the disciples there. And, uh, Lord, as we see, as you are testing them again to make sure, Lord, that you you seek to test us, Lord, through difficult circumstances and trials to draw us and help remind us of your all-sufficiency and great love, Lord. And so, Father, may we grow a little bit more in our faith tonight as we see Jesus and your wondrous love for us and your plan and purpose for this world, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to look in the context of this chapter because we have in chapter 6, right into the end, we have the crowd as that they, we read in verse 15 at the start there, that they, this is talking of the crowd, the multitude, in their response to what they've just witnessed in their own secular understanding. And so when we think of the crowd is, by their response, we see they're living in the temporal, the external, in what they've witnessed. Their intentions, 
they're not considering anything spiritual that the Lord Jesus has just done. They're excited by the love of the flesh and how they've just been filled. And there was contempt because in that, because they wanted to take him by force, we see in verse 15. We read this only in the Gospel of John in their response. Whether the Lord Jesus wanted to or not, these crowd wanted for force, you know, for what they'd just seen him do in his person and work. And but Jesus sought after for something else in his departure here. And this is my first point. Departed and not for his own sake. As I mentioned in the other my previous message, it would have been it is very tempting for people when you can draw a large crowd to embrace their desires and their wants. And we see that today through the entertainments. And But what they were doing, the sin we see here is they were coveting. They wanted to make him a king. And we realise that this king would feed them so plentifully without the toil, the sweat. And, yeah, so... This would be the perfect welfare state we could create if we take him and make him our king in, in this way. And they, um, remember just this morning, Pastor was mentioning like people don't like any restrictions. And here we see it like they didn't like the restriction of the Roman yoke. And their motivation would, they would hope for a fair opportunity. He could shake off this burden, this yoke of, as as their king, which would be able. To, be more powerful than them, they realised, but it was only in a very selfish... So when we consider that in the context there, just to, as we consider our first point, departed, and I think of what the Lord wants us as his children to depart from, and that is we know sin, and that's what the whole Bible is, teaching us how to separate from sin that we have ensnared ourselves in gone astray in and in our own pride and selfishness and self-will but we think of the, the Lord in the, in the scriptures we, we are to abstain from all appearance of evil and depart that is to depart from the appearance of sin even that we would not be tempted and this is what the Lord is we're going to see doing to the disciples by his departing and we might think of an Old Testament character, Joseph, a very good example of departing and fleeing before sin could take hold. And, uh, and this is when we read the other two accounts, and let me read them in... We have Matthew fourteen twenty two. So when you turn there, just try and hold them because we'll flick back to them just in comparing and contrast just to get some other points with what is going on. Matthew 14.22 and Mark 6.45. I've got markers already here. So Matthew 14.22, let me read that. And straight away Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When I read Mark 6.45 as well, and straight away... 
he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent the people away. So the, the Lord is dealing with the disciples first, then he, he deals with the crowd, even, you know, we don't know how, but he's able to send them away even though they wanted to constrain him and, and then he's able to depart. So he's constraining his disciples to get into the boat when we look at our text, 15 there, and go back to the other side of the lake very quickly. You need to do this. The disciples had, when we understand, been a part of this thrilling miracle that day. They were on such a high. And Jesus knew there was great temptation to relish in the popularity of being their master's disciples. Jesus knew that the crowd was now turning into a frenzied mob and we'd only realise this by John's account, becoming frantic. The disciples' bright day for them ended in a troubled night. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming as they were about to enter into? Yes, yes, of course. He knows everything. We, we realise that he controls everything. Then why did he deliberately send his friends into danger? So we're building on this. He was rescuing them from a greater danger, the danger of being swept along by the crowd. And uh, we're going to focus more on the actual dangers in the next point, number two, which is dangers. So, but looking at departed, their departure, he departed. We see the mind of Christ in his humility and meekness, Meekness being power under control. Jesus opposed the ambition and insincerity of a worldly honour. The kingdom of God, which he had been teaching all that day and previously, which was, it was a free gift, an opportunity to become a part of God's holiness through repentance and what he's teaching now, faith, through him, through his God's son. And and. There was no room for the crowd's idols of preeminence, putting themselves first in this situation, or desiring their own vainglory and taking advantage of his power. There was, the world has this same problem today, and I don't have to explain that because even as we, the Lord's disciples, you know, we struggle still with pride, with vainglory. With, that's why the scriptures tell us to not to be aware of it and to confess it if it is... Uh, we know God resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. When Jesus had sent his disciples away and then the people, as we read in those two accounts, Matthew and Mark, he then departs, as we see there in verse 15 of John. And we don't know, we wouldn't know, but we can only imagine when, you, when the Lord goes somewhere alone, what does he do? Praise. You didn't have to... But the other two accounts say that he prayed. And how exhausted he would have been. We focused on the exhaustion last time because of that whole day. And they were exhausted even before the day started, like with all that had been going on and being sent out. They'd just gotten back themselves from the disciples from their mission to the lost house of Israel. And the Lord Jesus had just been heard the news himself from John's disciples that John the Baptist had been killed but we, but he needed to have quietness undisturbed communion with God and as, as 
John is pointing out here, as commentators write, it, yes, he is God, but he is man. And, and, and he, um, he, he was worn out in being a man as well. And the Lord Jesus knew that in about a year, this crowd would take him by force anyway and crown him with thorns of scorn. They were going to have their time and mockery and despised and rejected and in grief and humiliation. And yet it was a great need to still at this moment to pray for the lost that he'd been ministering to, for them to respond to the truth. And do you know what? Would The Lord Jesus has this great opportunity to preach to them in verse 22, right through the end of the chapter pretty much, where you have that great discourse that I am the bread of life. But... I won't go too much because I want to mention that again in a bit more. And God gave that opportunity to preach. And also, um, you know what? They came. They came seeking for Jesus again the next day. And uh, if the disciples hadn't been obedient and they had have stayed, the Lord might not have had that opportunity. And so to minister again to them. And, but they filled the synagogue, as we see in verse 59. He taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, as we see that from, from when he, like though, from the sea on the shore, from verse 22, we don't know when they entered in, but there the conversation starts and he's able to minister to them. And he was still very popular. They still had the wrong motives. And the Lord had ministered to the lost and he'd been teaching his disciples and then he'd been praying to God. And, and even though many reject the truth, he prays for his disciples to believe by faith. You know, for the person and work of God to do a real purging in their heart as well. And what we see, there is a purging through answer that prayer and his, his true teaching. There is a purging of even false disciples. And um, from that time, well, in verse 66... Of the chapter 6, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. We see a great majority of them that proclaimed to be his disciple, that professed turning back. And so Jesus knew there would be more danger in the favour of the crowd as we go back there. And there's a quote. We must never be deceived by the popularity of Jesus Christ among certain kinds of people today. Very few in these large churches situations want him as Saviour and Lord and they accommodate many of these disciples that when they heard the truth and were convicted by it, they, they, they don't understand and uh, and so many only come because they want him only as a healer or provider or the one who rescues them from problems they have made for themselves. And Jesus said in verse 50, 
of chapter 5. No, verse 40, sorry. Chapter 5. And you will not come to me that ye might have life. And so after such a high, and many of these churches that I just read from that quote run on a high in their entertainment, in their worship, in their style of, if you would call it, preaching. But... Um, in this situation, Christ is balancing what he's trying to teach his disciples and show the world in his own power and not man's. And Christ can become absent because sometimes we can get have a... In our lives, in our ministries, we might what we would call a high, like a, a success, a um, things going really well. And, and then we can, in our own pride and vanity, we can be tempted to sin in our unbelief and our undependent, well, lack of dependence on the Lord and, and then not praying as the Lord went and prayed in giving thanks. And, and we can only imagine that he gave much thanks and then praying for the Lord's work to continue and that we would remain humble. And I'm sure that was the pleading of our Lord to the Father in his prayer for the disciples. And uh, so in the time of calmness, we must prepare for trouble. And so Jesus prayed before, well, and during the developing of trouble with the disciples, that, and it was purposed, it was providenced, because it was much. It was going to be the lesson, and it may arise when we least expect it. Now, you could imagine they, they, they were familiar with these waters. They were familiar because some of them were fishermen that had worked on the Sea of Galilee, and okay, you would be expecting sometimes a storm can arise quite suddenly, but maybe, but. In dealing with that, like they were experienced. And so, but what we need to look at is what is the key to maintaining control when things are out of control and they suddenly develop like this? Verse 17 and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, so we have darkness, and Jesus was not come unto them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, yes, okay, I won't. I'll stop there. It's out of control before they see Jesus. Um, so the key to maintaining things when the storm again was to test them after the lesson. So what was the danger? And we're going to look at danger in my second point, but I want to just share an illustration. As a fighter pilot, there is very little room for error because flying in formation, especially as an Air Force pilot, and they do that through clouds as well, you have to be wholehearted in your devotion. And so 
A number of reasons, most of our flying was done in formations of aircraft, three, six, 12 or 18 in a group. The flight leader had to keep the aeroplanes in close formation in order to guide them through manoeuvres. So we flew very close together for effectiveness and for safety. Formations can only manoeuvre as easily as a single aircraft and we would sometimes be in the clouds for short distances. Our wings would be close together and the visibility would be almost zero in the clouds. Sometimes one could not see any part of the next plane. There was an uneasy feeling when the clouds were full of aeroplanes with 14-foot propellers turning 1,800 revolutions per minute. We trimmed the aircraft control surfaces to remain in formation with the lead plane, even with the hands off the controls. We did this trimming while we were in the clear. Then, when we entered the clouds, the planes would remain, would maintain their relative positions for a reasonably short time, even if we lost sight of other planes in the clouds. The secret was to have the aeroplane on course and steady before entering the clouds. Then, when visibility was lost, we kept everything just like it was. No climbing, turning or diving, no changes straight ahead. The undisciplined pilot was tempted to bolt. That would have led to certain disaster. The safest course, go right on doing what you are doing. So the point is, our responsibility is to walk with the Lord faithfully and fully. When he says depart, we need to depart. And he tells us in the word what we need to depart from. I mentioned that. We need to be wholehearted. We set our sights on him, the Lord Jesus. and We focus our lives toward him. This is setting our controls. And even when the storm clouds gather and we can't fully see where we're going, that is, we set our instruments in the clear and trust them in the clouds, in the difficulties, when we seem to forget and so secondly in combined with this first point we're going to look at more specifically the dangers I sort of just outline why they needed to depart and it was just difficult just I didn't want to explain too much of the dangers because I want to look at them now and hopefully it, we can tie the first point together in the departure now. Jesus compelled the disciples to get into the boat because he knew they were in danger. Now, did they respond straight away? And verse 16, it doesn't seem so because they had always been with him. Part of this examination, this test, from the lesson they'd learnt that day, they had to trust even without his presence, his physical presence with them, that he was still with them because he is Lord of all as he proved to them through all the signs, the miracles he had been doing, through the creative miracles. He's Lord of creation and uh, the other healing miracles. And we must ask ourselves again, like I was just mentioning before, after a great, what we would call maybe a spiritual high, do we respond straight away in committing it all to Jesus? Or sometimes we can go away and 
um, just in the thrill of it all and the yeah the thankfulness of it all and appreciation of it all and we can let it all go just that complete dependence that but what we can do is the Lord Jesus set the great example we can humbly thank him for the opportunity to minister praying the word of God will do its work in the lives of the hearers and uh, it's good to write this out like in, and then you know we can um, look at it and put it into remembrance so we don't forget it and and that even like professing believers like the disciples they'll examine themselves in the faith according to the truths they have been taught and we are taught to examine ourselves the apostle paul talks about in second corinthians 13 5 examine yourselves to the believers here in corinth whether ye be in the faith prove your own selves know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And there were many that walked away when the Lord forced them to examine themselves very confrontingly in his message about what it means in being the bread of life. And so opposite to the principles, so the, the fanatical crowd, not good for disciples, their ego, their pride, their self-will. It was everything opposite against that he'd been teaching. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6 and 7, the principles of the kingdom. And, and this, some of the disciples, again, would have rejoiced at the opportunity to become, yes, famous and powerful. This was not God's plan or his will for them. And so when we make an application for this in our own lives, I was thinking, have we ever wondered where we might be today if some of our own dreams or aspirations of the flesh desire at times in our lives for maybe fame or more preeminence in certain areas or, or more fortune had actually worked out? We'd thought about them, we'd seen different presentations of how we might be able to increase that or things like that we would like I know for myself we would probably be far out of his will if some of those detours of of those areas like that could have happened to disciples here um, might be far out of his will and it might literally be when you think about it it's frightening to think we might not even have we might have walked away like 66 there many did of his own disciples might not even be saved and but we we just thank the lord for his mercy his compassion on us in drawing us to himself in his grace and maybe we might have a terribly scarred life if we have gone some of these directions or a ruined testimony, or in seeking revenge, you know, from a child when that, and and when things might not have went right, and then allowing that to develop into your adulthood, where that would be disastrous. And it's a good something to think about. If I had the capacity to do some of these things physically, or financially, or or mentally, you know, with my intellect, would have my pride in 
drawn me away? What if that sin drawn me away from the Lord and what his purpose was for my life? And a ruined testimony, yes, a scarred life, maybe not even found true salvation, as I mentioned there. And I have a bit of a quote that I want to read out that I found. And uh, can we not read the scriptures in both the Old and New Testament and see and hear preached preached when we come to hear the preaching of the word at church and and be convinced that God seeks the holiness of his people. He seeks a separated people from sin, from the world. And we know in First Peter one sixteen he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And as we hear biblical truth and do, how well are we going about living it? And this is what the Lord's helping them to live it. If we don't live the message that is preached in the local church, how can we have any integrity at all before God as a church? We will affirm the Bible as we come to church. We will say amen to a no tolerance of sin that is taught from the pulpit. And we'd fight for the Bible's authority and inerrancy. And when it comes to living it in life during the week, during the storms, during the dark, of night do we compromise we and fall short and we we just aren't concerned about implementing these truths and as we are when we're here together and we're praising the Lord and we believe them and and but then implementing them in that we have the lesson from the word and then uh, the examination is during the week of how we apply those truths in our life. If we're not, they're those areas of sin of what is called hypocrisy. And and you do find them. The Lord, if you're seeking to know and, and to know that his way is best and you want blessing in your life and you're drawing near to him, then we realise he shows us gracefully little areas of hypocrisy that we can confess and ask him to help us to overcome. So we can even, if we're not happy with the word that we're hearing in our local church, we can wander to other winds of doctrine, and it's easy to do that these days. And that's where the trouble starts also, and it's just discerning that, that we're not blown around by... and Because uh, the wind of doctrine from this crowd was going to be devastating. The Lord knew that, and he had to get them away. The winds of the storm were much safer that they went into to test them. So are we caught in the storm because we have disobeyed the Lord? And we we just need to think of that. We've got wonderful examples like Jonah and uh, where he prayed. We can pray, praise the Lord. We can confess our sin as he did in chapter 2. And the Saviour comes to us as we see at the end of chapter 2 of Jonah and the start of chapter 3. The Lord heard his prayer. But he still wanted him to complete his task. Saviour comes to us. and uh, Sometimes the storms can even come because we have obeyed the Lord, Job. But the Saviour, as he did here, prays for us as he did for his disciples. And the Saviour comes to us as he did in verse 19. 
They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And uh, the right beliefs and right practices of Christ's kingdom, of his principles, will keep us. And a lot of that's about humbling ourselves, being poor in spirit, um, meek and control of the spirit in our lives. And that will keep us to the right methods for advancing God's kingdom. And if we do that, we have the Lord Jesus in Matthew four, Matthew 7 there at the end of that great sermon. And there we see not only just hearing the message, but doing. Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, be settled, established in him. And unfortunately, like in the account in Mark, and I was, they forgot the miracles of the loaves after that great rescue there. He, he points it out, Mark 6, there in verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And uh, that account, you'd think they'd failed. And, but the Lord is merciful. And the other writers don't point that out. But we have it there as God's patience and the Lord's patience. And, uh, but in verse 21, when they received him into the ship, and that takes us into our next point of dis- their discovery of him in verse well it starts in verse 19 as I just read but they received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at land whether they went and we have an instant calming and we have like another miracle there like they're suddenly at the land on the shore of safety and so verse drawing nigh there in verse 19 and we know in James 4 8 draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto thee and in both, you know, in our salvation as we come to him in true repentance and faith and in sanctification. And this is a testimony, as I've been reading, of George Miller, Release the Power of Prayer. And he experienced over 50,000 answers to prayer, he can testify to. They were Pacific prayers. And he was able to minister and house and train up 10,000 orphans to go into the workforce, into careers that they chose without ever asking anyone but God in supplying all those needs. But the benefits of answered prayer in this testimony that the joy that answers to prayer give cannot be described and the impetus that they afford to the spiritual life is exceedingly great. And George Miller's testifying here, I desire the experience of this happiness for all my Christian readers. And it starts with salvation. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation of your soul, and if you walk uprightly and not regarding iniquity in your hearts, abstaining 
from the appearance of evil and not regarding it. Sorry, I added that. I was just thinking from... But if you continue to... And this is the wait patiently and believe in God, then answers will surely be given to your prayers. You may not be called upon to serve the Lord in the ways this writer has been called. Therefore, you may never have the answers to prayer in regard to the things that are recorded here. But in your various circumstances, your family, your business, your profession, your church position, your labour for the Lord and so on, you may have answers as specific as any that are recorded here. And walking uprightly was not regarding sin and that is such a big hindrance in that fellowship with the Lord because he can and there's another quote providing all that we need in the present in order to calm our soul and settle our heart amid the raging storms of life in Colossians we read I'm going there in the New Testament we are to walk with him with the the Apostle Paul did this and shares the blessing of that. Colossians 2, and I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And it's interesting when you read the word, like we know in everything we are to give thanks and the Apostle Paul reminds us of that, the importance of giving thanks and it keeps us humble because we, we realise without him we can do nothing. And but Through the gospel, Jesus here we see also is a great discovery for the sinful, sorrowful soul willing and ready to draw near unto the distressed who are lost in the darkness of sin. And this is a quote. Having through his suffering and death on the cross, in his resurrection, he is treading the threatening waves of sin and death beneath his feet. And by faith we can tread with him in our salvation. And we know in the other account... Talks of, it doesn't talk here about Peter increasing his faith in getting out and walking with him when he kept his eyes on the Lord. But we're not looking at that. But even these days as believers, like disciples there in verse 18 and 19 of John 6, on that ship we are surrounded by immense instability in this world. And so... When we see the Saviour drawing near Jesus the Divine unto the distressed in this situation, yes, again, those lost in the darkness of sin are very distressed. And the believer is able to be comforted in his distresses, gripped by fear. We can be. But Christ, as he looked down from the mountain, and as now he looks down from heaven, he knows where the troubled seeking heart is right now. If your heart is troubled, he knows. And Jesus reveals himself to such. And he is saying, it is I, not only to the disciples, but to us, to you, through his word tonight. It is I, the light, the power over darkness. It is I, the life, 
power over death. It is I, salvation, power over sin, by faith in me. Verse 54. This was the hard saying for some of those false disciples. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Lord is saying, Whoso believeth in me, that I am God's Son in the flesh, as John has been explaining right from chapter 1, and drinketh my blood in his faith in him, the sinless one of God, who was the only perfect sacrifice, who came to take away the sin of the world. If we believe, if and then Paul just wrote, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus, God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And testing our faith, trying our faith, the Lord Jesus helps us to examine ourselves as we read there before in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. If we true wholeheartedly believe, we will know. And this is, I think, what they were challenged with at the young adult camp. You will have that desire if you truly believe. You will know through that desire and the Holy Spirit that dwells in you if you really are interested in the Lord, in reading in his word and hearing what he has to say. And then if after that you really are concerned about applying that in your life, in practice, in the Lord allowing you to be examined in his mercy and grace through his forgiveness when we fail but being able to things like that I, I sort of added a few th- I was just sort of that understanding I got just with talking you, you, you can work it out with fear and trembling in the Lord if we don't believe and they were fearing and trembling the disciples and they worked it out it was the Lord Jesus Christ and when they received him they were at peace and uh, blessed and When we discover Christ, are we willing to receive him into our life, into our heart, into our boat? And immediately in salvation, we see the word immediately there, and we, we, we know through the doctrine of the gospel that once we receive Christ, we're immediately saved. We're immediately indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And there's a beautiful picture, and that's a beautiful relief Christ gives to us and and to dis, dis, the lost and to disciples in their fears. And we look forward. Um, we can receive him as they were and just as I am. And uh, in concluding, let's consider Christ in heaven intercedes for us. We are in the midst of the storms of life trying to reach the shore. One day he will come again for us and we shall reach the port safely. That is the great comfort we have. The storm's all past. But now Jesus has led his people into green pastures. There we see, uh, we, we know that comes from Psalms 23, but there is an allurement to it there when they sat down on the grass. In verse 10, 
And now he brought them into the still waters of the calm seas. And Psalms 23, 2. What a, what a wonderful shepherd. And, and as we consider, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this message tonight. And Lord, your patience with us and your careful teaching and moulding us day by day more into your own image, Lord, through the word, through our trials, through our failings, through thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for restoration. And we just thank you, Lord, as we go from this place now, having heard the word today and and any application that is really applied to us, well, they should all, Lord, but as you point out, and may we pray about it and ask your help in applying it in our lives, in overcoming sin, a besetting sin, an unknown sin, Lord, a presumptuous sin, as the psalmist says, Lord, of something that we have a weakness in, in our, in our faith, in our belief, in our devotion, in our consistency, Lord. And I know in the areas this challenges us in different areas of our spiritual walk with thee. So, Father, we ask these things as we would set our spiritual controls of prayer and spending time in your word and fellowshipping and hearing the preaching of the word. We'd set them so that they... We can let go when we're in the darkness of the storms of situations we enter into during the week, Lord. When things go wrong, we can know what it means to be steadfast and carry on in faith, Lord, and please you. And you will open an opportunity to minister again as you did to the Lord Jesus in our obedience when he got to share the bread of life. And that may have never come about, but... Lord, our Saviour was perfect and many heard again and were convicted and they either departed or they few stayed. We thank you for those that were faithful, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this challenge and ask these things.